fact, this last tour we went to, we got up to the ringing chamber and there was a bed in the middle of it. A bed? A bed. So you had to sit on the bed in order to ring one of the bells. Hi, you're listening to the Fun With Bells podcast, where I, Cathy Booth, interview novices and some of the most famous ringers in the world to reveal the mysteries of this heard, but often hidden, art. Today I'm interviewing someone from the United States of America. Bruce Butler started to ring in 1963. He is a member of the Society of Royal Cumberland Dues and of the Central Council of Church Bell Ringers. He is currently president of the North American Guild of Chain Ringers. He has been a tower captain and ringing master in Philadelphia where they have two towers and he is one of two recognised art tutors for North America. Bruce organises bell ringing tours from North American ringers to visit the UK and other parts of the ringing world and has rung in almost 4,000 towers. Gracious. So, hello, Bruce. Hi, how are you? I'm well, and you? I'm very good, thank you. Good. Um, Good. So, can you tell me a bit about the bell ringing tours that you organise? Yes, I started back in 1990, thereabouts, because my wife had just started to learn to ring. I taught her in 1988, and there were a couple of other people in our local area who were pretty much the same uh, level of ability, pop doubles, grandson doubles, that kind of thing. And so I thought it would be a good idea, because we only have 54 towers in the whole of North America, seven of those are in Canada. So getting about to different towers, and at that time, of course, we had only one in Philadelphia. We didn't have the second one. So their limited experience with getting different bells and giving different lengths of draft and weights of bells, they just weren't getting that experience on that little 400 by 8 that we had at the time in Philadelphia. So I thought, well, and I'm English, of course, as you know, I just thought well, one day it would be nice to get a few friends together and go on a ringing tour. So that's what we did. We started off the very first tour. We went to Somerset for some, some of their heavier bells. A few days down in Somerset up to Derbyshire. In those days, everything had to be done by hand almost, as it were, because uh, there was no cheap way to phone, there was no internet or anything, so I had to get airmail letters and send them to tower correspondents and say, I'd like to come on this particular day, at this particular time, would it be possible, and then wait for two or three weeks for these airmails to come back and then piece it all together. So it was such a successful first tour, I said I'd never do another one. <laughs> but they all persuaded me to have another go, so the following year we went back to Cornwall and and Devon, and got some experience of court, Devon call change ringing and uh, different uh, weights again and, and experiences. And we've been doing one ever since, every year. Some years we've been doing more than one a year since I retired. And we, like, we've been all over, all over. We've done some in North America, some of the towers down south when they started coming in around 2000 
And then we went to Australia. We've been to New Zealand and South Africa many times to all parts of England, Channel Islands, Scotland, Wales, Ireland. Where was the last place that you visited? The last tour we did was back in November. I wanted to be there for the armistice because I was very much involved with the Ring in Remembers project. If you signed up to Ring, your email came to me and then I passed your name on to one of the local district or association reps who would then go and find them a suitable tower. So we, we started off in Oxfordshire, did a few days in Oxfordshire, Hertfordshire, Essex, and then I went back to uh, Kent and we ended up ringing on the actual Armistice Day in, in the tower I learned to ring at. And in fact, uh, on an earlier trip in, in the summer, I discovered a ringer that was new to Alan Reagan's record keeping. So it was kind of exciting to find someone that was new and it was quite emotional to to ring back in my home tower, as it were. Right. When you say somebody new, what what do you mean? You found somebody new? One of the local publicans had been very keen on history and we were talking about the Ring and Remembers project. And she had said, oh, I've been going through some old parish magazines and that there was a bell ringer who had been killed in the First World War. And I said, oh, really? Because I don't think anybody knows about that. Um, could you get me the details? So she sent me the name and rank and everything, and I looked it up on the database, and his name wasn't there. So Alan, hopefully, has got him now added to the list. Excellent. So if somebody was wanting to organise a tour to the UK now, how would they go about doing that? Well, once you've picked your area, then I usually write to the or email or even call these days, the local association secretary. Unfortunately, the uh, websites quite often don't carry telephone numbers and addresses and emails like they used to. So often they'll send me the local contact list. And then there's an old book with some people might be familiar called The Atlas of Bells. So I... I use that as a, a starting basis as to where the towers are and find a, a central location and we then find a, a reasonable hotel for three or four nights and then go out each day in a sort of circular pattern around the hotel using it as a base. Sometimes we go to practice nights, especially if there's tens or twelves in the area. And hopefully we can join them in their practice. And we just grab by either phone or emails, reach out to each correspondent, and hopefully everything falls into place. Do you do any sightseeing or are you just ringing bells when you come? Pretty much we come just for the bell ringing. We usually do seven or eight towers a day, so it doesn't leave much time for sightseeing. If, if it happens that, that, that we're somewhere where there is something... It, of historical nature, then we will um, take a side trip and, and do that. Or if uh, I find there's a gap that we haven't been able to fill, because one of, one of the rules that I have, as it were, I won't go back to a tower I've already been to. So uh, sometimes when you're 
pretty saturated an area and there's only one or two towers left. If it doesn't quite work out, it gives us a, an afternoon free or something. So we might see a National Trust property or something similar to that. And and on all these trips, do you have any stories to recount? Uh, yes, we have quite a lot from interesting entrances to towers. Some are, are quite uh, notable. Well, I'm sure most people have heard the rep the reputation of Percival Abbey. There's Patrington up in northern Lincolnshire there, South Yorkshire. We have to crawl along on your hands and knees through a little triangular space to get to the tower and then to some other interesting secular towers like the, the one uh, in Chester where we had to climb up a vertical ladder with pigeon uh, debris all over the place. And the guy that came to let us in showed up with bright yellow overalls and a wellies and everything because he knew what to experience. I took a learner one time and his rope handling wasn't quite as good as it should have been. And we were ringing around a font, as you sometimes do. And the font had been beautifully decorated with all these flowers. And, and one of the flowers were these long onion blooms that have that big bushy top to them and his rope caught one of those and it flew across the belfry. Of course, there's lots of other interesting uh, places like where we've had to stand on pews or move the pews in order to pull on the rope properly or stand on one leg. In fact, this last tour we went to, we got up to the ringing chamber and there was a bed in the middle of it. A bed? A bed. So you had to sit on the bed in order to ring one of the bells. Was this in a church? Yeah, a disused church, and the person that bought it decided it was going to be made into an apartment. And I don't think it was very successful, but the bed remained in the, in the ringing room. How would you compare and contrast ringing in the different countries, particularly maybe America and UK? I don't think there is a whole lot of difference, really. We all ring the same methods. We all ring the same way. We all have the same problems uh, in that we don't usually have enough ringers necessarily to have practice nights. I think in the, England it's a bit more prevalent that churches have not had their bells rung for quite some time, which is not the case in uh, North America. Uh, Australia, a lot of the towers in Australia are, are very new. They're all new bands and uh, nice new bells and you don't have the problems associated with some still got plain bearings and all that kind of stuff. South Africa was interesting, but the towers there are few and very far apart. So logistically getting around took some planning, but it all worked out and we were on time every day. Could you give me a bird's eye view of the towers in America, in North America? In North America, we have seven in Canada. Two are in Quebec, 12 in Toronto, and eight in Calgary, two in Vancouver, and another one in Victoria. Victoria is a nice ring of 10, supposed to be very similar to the casting of Westminster Abbey bells. And then in the uh, United States, we have several that run up and down the East Coast from Boston, there's quite a few up in the Boston area to New York, which is a, a relatively new 12. At the moment, the, well, the bells are ringable, but you can't get into the church because it's undergoing some 
restoration work, and so access is is limited. And then you come down to Philadelphia. We have two eights in Philadelphia, and there's a little six about 45 minutes away from us in Newcastle. And then there's two nice tens in Washington, Washington National Cathedral, being the heaviest ring in North America, uh, 3,200-weight tenor, and then very high up. You don't have to climb lots and lots of steps like you do in England. They have two elevators that you can take to the top. Uh, and then... Recently, there's um, been developments in, in the south. So there are four in um, Charleston and then along what we call I-20, which is one of the main routes there from Atlanta through to Birmingham and then down into Texas. There are about seven or eight down there. And then we have one over in Seattle. So there's nothing in the middle. And nothing on the West Coast apart from the Seattle Bells. Quite an undertaking to get them all. Certainly can't get many more than three or four in any one day. And driving is pretty long between some of them as well. So you really need to take a plane to get to the various sections of the country where they are. I see. Do, do they get together at some point, the people? Do you have a, a gathering yeah, there are several organized throughout the year. I organize a quarter peel weekend in Philadelphia in January, um, which attracts quite a lot of people from all over, but typically from the Northeast. And then we call it Memorial Day weekend here. It's the old Whitsuntide holiday. They, they've had a meeting up in Quebec for years and years and years. And then uh, down in the Texas area, they have what they call the Seven Towers Festival. So the Seven Towers take it in turns to host a meeting that's usually around Easter time. And then we have our annual general meeting, which takes place around the different parts of the United States. And it usually is in the autumn or fall. And uh, this year it's going to be in Boston. It moves around to try and get it so that everybody has a fair chance of coming to the meeting not have to travel too far or have to miss too many in a row. Right. And about how many ringers do you have in North America? Our guild is just over 500 members. So it's it's pretty good considering. And are you growing as a number or is it shrinking? Or uh, It's pretty stable. It's been, you know, fortunately we, we lose some at one end and get them on at the other end as it were. Do you cover handbells as well or is it just tower bells? This is a quick break to thank our sponsors, the Association of Ringing Teachers, ART. You can find out more at bellringing.org, where there are resources to support your ringing, to find out how to learn to ring, or to learn to teach. Now back to the episode. No, no, we have handbell groups, and, uh, because a lot of areas don't have tower bells, so the alternative is handbells. And there's eight or nine active handbell groups throughout North America. Right, who are doing change ringing. Change ringing, correct. Yeah. 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 And to quite a high degree, some of them are peel ringing. How much teaching goes on of new people? Well, I'm, as you know, I'm an art tutor. I try and run some courses to get more teachers or to at least have the people that are teaching in the various towers 
teaching on a fairly consistent basis. But uh, unfortunately, it's really left up to the local towers to do most of the teaching. It's just too difficult to organize otherwise. Although if we do know that there's a new band starting up, we'll try and do some intensive work with them. So I want to try and work with them over a couple of weeks or something. Then it's a case, unfortunately, of them having to do it themselves. What sort of age ranges are there of people that are, you know, you you mentioned there's 500 ringers. Well, most are middle age to older age, but we do have several of our towers in universities, uh, Kalamazoo, Chicago, just to name, and, and a couple are in schools, the Kent School and Groton. Swan is another university. So they attract, obviously, the younger people. So that brings our average age down quite a lot. So we, we run all the way through from sort of eight, nine, ten-year-olds up to 90-year-olds. And what tips would you have for somebody who wanted to organise a tour from the UK or from another country to North America? Well, one thing is uh, they should not be so ambitious that they think they can get everywhere. But you really need a good two to three weeks to do a decent tour. Um, we have a website and agcr.org and they can go on and listed there are all the towers and all the tower contacts so they should decide where they want to start and usually people start in boston or new york or even here in philadelphia or atlanta some of the, one of the some of the major airports where they can fly into from the uk and then get in touch with the locals and see what What's the best way of coming to uh, each tower? But you, you then really need to get higher cars or a minibus and then organise a trip uh, and then have the locals look at your plan and say, you know, I want to be here so-and-so and then I want to be there so-and-so. Does my timing work? Because even though we have long, fast roads, it's often not as simple as you think to get from A to B. Why is that? It's just sometimes it's just too far to take a vehicle. You really need to take a train or have several several people willing to drive. It's just too much driving for one person. If anybody is interested in, they can always get in touch with me, uh, president at org, and I can give them some ideas. Oh, that's, that's very generous of you. Thank you. Is there anything else that you wanted to mention before we go on to the last two questions, Bruce? No, I think I think that's good. I mean, if anybody is thinking of taking a vacation over to the United States, they should certainly look into coming to one of our events, which we have, again, on the website, the calendar of the year. Most of them are listed there. Some are on board, but not all of them. We're a welcoming bunch, and, and we love to have English visitors. I know New York and Washington, particularly attractive places, and so is Boston. But I know people in the uh, other parts of the country would love to get, have experienced English people join them for a practice once in a while. Great. Apart from the towers that you regularly ring at, you obviously ring at quite a lot of other ones. So what what of those is your favourite ring of bells and why? I don't know if I have a particular favourite. Over here, I love the bells in Miami. 
they're a beautiful 1800 by 8, and they go really well. And then uh, the bells in Hawaii are another nice set of bells to go to and ring, partly because Hawaii is such a beautiful place, and you can't really just go to Hawaii for the day. You've got to go for several days and take it all in, I guess. One of the thrilling places that I rang at was Westminster Abbey, another lovely set of bells. They, they would be my favourites. Talking about Westminster Abbey for a minute, why was that your one of your favourites? Well, it just goes so nicely and it sounds so good. And it, for, for most people, it's a rare opportunity, I think. The last question I have for you is, has anything remarkable happened to you that wouldn't have happened if you hadn't taken up bell ringing? Well, I guess it's travelling the world, <laughs> ringing. That's taken me to, uh, well, Australia and we've, on, on route to Australia, we've stopped off for Turkey, for Istanbul, uh, Singapore, Korea, South Africa. They possibly have done a safari, but it was definitely part of the trip that we took to, um, to there. And again, when we went to Australia, we did some outback experiences besides ringing. I, I probably wouldn't have been able to travel wouldn't have traveled as extensively as I have and seen so many beautiful parts of the world. Thank you very much, Bruce. That was really great. Is there anything else that you wanted to say? No, I think that's it. You're most welcome. And I hope to see uh, listeners come to the United States and ring with us. Thank you to my guest, Bruce Butler, who told us all about ranging ringing tours around the world and about ringing in North America. Next, we have a short section where your questions are answered by an expert in the world of bell ringing. Today, Pip Penny, the driving force behind the Association of Ringing Teachers schemes for learning the ropes, provides the answers. Stuart sent us in an email. He sounds very concerned. He says, is bell ringing dangerous? Ah, Stuart, you obviously haven't done bell ringing. I I always say that ringing a bell is like driving a car. It's absolutely fine when you know what you're doing. But if you don't know what you're doing, it can be dangerous. That's what I'd say. Right. And and what ways can it be dangerous? If you haven't got full bell control, you can not catch the sally. And if you don't catch the sally and there's a load of weight on the previous backstroke, the bell will swing up vigorously, and it might crash through the stay at the top, which will mean the rope will keep going up. And if you don't let go of it, you'll go up with it. And then, of course, when when it comes down again, you'll come down again with it. So it's all in the bell control, so you need to find a proper teacher who will teach you properly, and then it won't be dangerous at all. John sent us an email asking us what the best way to learn to ring bells is. You need to find a local tower. You need to find a tower that practices on the night where you can go. And you really need to find a teacher. And the, um, lots of teachers now who are accredited teachers with, with ART, the Association of Ringing Teachers. And in an ideal world, you'd seek out a teacher that is an accredited teacher with ART. And how would you find one? Oh, I think you can find one online. Go on to Ringing Teachers. Or just go on to learning to ring and something will come up, ringing teachers will come up and there's a thing on the top and it says learning to ring bells and you can click on there and I think you'll find they'll put you in touch. It'll direct you to somebody in your area. 
Sometimes you can see notices on the in the church. Sometimes they're advertised in the parish magazine. But online, we there's lots and lots of people start to learn to ring now through inquiring online and then being put in, in contact with the suitable person locally. Right. Well, Pip, that's been great for this episode. We'll see you in the next one. Thank you. Right. OK, Cathy, I'll see you then. That'll be good. Thanks to Pip Penny for her answers to your questions. Please let us know your questions and send comments by emailing me at funwithbellspodcast at gmail.com. You can also send me an audio file of your question to be played on the show. More information, photographs and links can be found in our show notes at www.funwithbells.com. I'm Cathy Booth. This podcast was put together by a team. A special thanks go to Leslie Belcher, Nick Boyd, Anne Tansley-Thomas, John Gwynne, Sue Hall and the Society of Cambridge Youth for the recording of their ringing. If you are in Britain and are interested in learning to ring, then please go to the ringingteachers.org or, for handbell ringers, hrgb.org.uk. Both websites have links to help you get started. Follow me on Twitter and Facebook at Fun With Bells. Do let me know that you've listened to the show. Don't forget to rate and review the podcast on iTunes. This is one of the many podcast directories where you can listen and subscribe for free. And if you've enjoyed it, please consider posting about it on social media so that others can find it. Next on Fun With Bells. Or you could just go along when you hear the bells ringing. And, you know, being in Cornwall here, you'll get an open arms welcome.